This reading is from the Old Testament, Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The word of the Lord. A reading from the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who, whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. 
If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my fingers into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and all the doors were locked. Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. But these were written so that you might believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We do sing praise to you, risen Lord. It is our joy um, and delight that you have conquered sin and death and that you um, are here with us uh, this morning. Give us um, uh, a responsiveness to your word, um, to your spirit, that we may grow and learn in you. And we pray all this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So in the season of um, Lent, uh, which we just uh, came through, um, our sermons on Sunday morning have been from um, the Gospel of Luke. Um, and we've been looking at, or we're looking at, uh, different um, uh, teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, uh, from, uh, again, recording the Gospel of Luke. And we saw a couple different themes um, uh, throughout uh, those sermons. Um, uh, one theme that came up again and again is Jesus' warning um, to those listening to him, to those um, that he was teaching about the judgment of God, and in particular warning uh, people that to resist the work of salvation that he was bringing, to resist the kingdom that is coming, is to resist God. And that will result ultimately in judgment. And yet alongside of that theme of judgment, we also saw in many of the readings the theme of God's patience and God's mercy. That even as we acknowledge God's judgment, we also acknowledge that God is very patient. That he calls us to repent and gives us opportunities again and again to repent and to turn to him, to avoid that coming judgment. Uh, one example of this is a few weeks ago I preached on a parable that Jesus told about a, a fig tree that did not bear fruit um, in a vineyard and how the owner of the vineyard says, cut down that tree, right? It's not bearing any fruit, right? That's a picture of judgment, of basically of God saying, if you don't bear fruit, ultimately you will face judgment. And yet that was followed by a worker in the vineyard saying, wait, you'll give the tree one more year. Let me put some manure on it. Let me uh, put some, uh, take care of it and see if it will bear fruit. Again, a picture of God's mercy, of giving more time, more opportunities for us to turn to him. And those themes of judgment and mercy basically culminate then in the death of Jesus, where we see God's judgment against sin. And we also see, incredibly, God's mercy in that he receives the judgment upon himself. That God, the Son, pays the penalty for sin and bears that upon himself, setting us free from sin and death. And as we saw last week, right, the great amen 
to Jesus' work on the cross is his resurrection. Right? If we doubt that what he did there was effective, we see it very clearly in that he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death. He effectively took judgment upon himself and bore that for us so that we might have new life. And last week we saw the, one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus to his disciples where he appears to them, he eats some fish with them to show them, I really am risen from the dead. This is my physical body before you. And then he calls them to be witnesses and promises them you will be empowered by God to bear witness to this. And so we are in Luke. Now in this season of Easter, we're going to be in another book written by Luke, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but through the writing of Luke, the book of Acts, where we see right the disciples who have been called to be witnesses, who have been commissioned by Jesus to be witnesses, living that out. And so basically we want to look at what does it look like then to live out this witness to the resurrection, empowered by the Spirit, as we see that recorded in the book of Acts. And we want to ask the question in that is, what does this look like for us? What does it mean for us to live as witnesses, to receive this commissioning, which I talked about last week, was not just for the first disciples, the first witnesses of the resurrection, but remains, again, a commissioning for us, a calling for us, to be witnesses and to be part of a witnessing community. Now, let me just say up front as we begin this series, as we're in the book of Acts throughout the season of Easter, I realize for many people, right, that call to being a witness, to witnessing, may come with some baggage or even just some feeling of like, that's not really exciting to me. Maybe you're thinking, maybe I'll skip Easter. Don't skip Easter uh, season, please. Right? But again, I know some people, they grew up in environments, maybe in churches where there was a lot that was talked about, about witnessing, about being a witness, and sometimes came with a lot of guilt. Basically, I know folks who kind of felt like the message I constantly got was, you're not a good enough witness. You're not being a witness to Christ. And so that word became sort of a word that they didn't really love. Maybe for others of you, you didn't grow in that environment, but you just hear witness and you think, I think courtroom, I think crime, right? I think witness protection agency, right? That word is not necessarily a pleasant word. And my hope is, again, as we look at the book of Acts, as we look at the recording of these first witnesses um, and how God worked through them, that we would see there is a joy in being a witness. But also that we would see, quite honestly, there are challenges in being a witness. So that is part of it. And yet the Lord works powerfully and works through us. And again, this is a joyful calling. It is a privilege for us. And today in particular, I want to think about obedience, right? And how we see in the disciples, um, in the, uh, the first followers of Jesus, an obedience to this call to witness and how the Lord helps them in their obedience. But again, also the challenges of those obedience, right? There's another word we love, witness and obedience, right? Well, that's where we are um, uh, today to, to consider. And if you look at our passage, right, the first place we can begin is that the, the apostles, right, the, the disciples, those first disciples of Jesus, right, they were given help to obey the call to be witnesses, right? They were given strength to obey. So yes, we look at their obedience, but let's start with the fact that they were given power to obey. And before we look at them, let's just think about how hard it is when you're called to obey and you're not empowered towards obedience. Maybe you've experienced that before where you've been told, right, you have to obey, right? You must do this. And yet you didn't experience any help in obedience. You didn't experience any way that you were strengthened in the obedience and how super hard that is, right? When you're, you're trying to obey and yet you don't feel like you're getting much help. I'm in that. When I was a freshman in high school, a long time ago, right, I, was, I ran cross country and 
my high school, the freshman team was separate from the rest of the team. I went to a big high school, so I put all the freshmen in a separate cross-country team, right? And I was part of this team, and we were all still getting to know each other, um, uh, running together. And I remember there was one day uh, where uh, before practice, I think it was, we were talking, and um, some of the members of the team were talking in, shall we say, inappropriate ways. Um, they were using salty language, um, if I could put it that way. And to my shame, I'm sure I was laughing and encouraging them in that. Well, we didn't realize that the coach was nearby. And the coach heard how we were talking to one another. He confronted us about that. I remember he made us um, sit down um, in the, the bleachers um, there. And he lectured us about watching our language and not using foul, foul language and basically calling us to maturity. We were a bunch of freshmen, kind of like, guys, you need to step it up a little bit. Now, I'm sure what he said was probably really good. But the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, this coach was not very invested um, in our team. Right? He was basically phoning it in. We all knew that. We knew he didn't really care whether we won or lost. He couldn't even remember our names. Right? He, he ended up retiring at the end of that year, so our suspicions were proved that basically he didn't care a lot about coaching. And so basically he gave us this talk about obeying, calling us to obedience, calling us to maturity. But of course, as soon as he left, right, I mean, the only lesson that we took to heart was, you know, be careful and watch to see if the coach is nearby, right? When, you know, and if he's not nearby, do whatever you want. Because again, we didn't have any reason to obey him, which is too bad. Because again, he probably had really good things to say, right? But he hadn't earned any obedience. We didn't feel strengthened. We didn't feel empowered to obey him. And again, I'm sure we've all experienced that. And what a contrast then we have as we look at the, uh, the acts and as we look at the disciples stepping out in obedience, how much they had been empowered, how much they had been strengthened, right? Before the, the crucifixion of Jesus, they were strengthened to obey, right? Those followers of Jesus who ministered with him, the 12 disciples, but many more than that, that Jesus a few different times sent them out, going out into villages, right? In, a, in an act of obedience said, go out, preach about the coming kingdom, pray for people, cast demons out of people, right? At one point, he sent 72 out, so a big group, right? And they went out two by two, and they saw God work through them. They prayed for people and saw healings, right? They cast out demons, and demons were cast out. If you remember, they came back to Jesus and said, Jesus, right, we cast out demons in your name. It worked, right? And Jesus said, yeah, of course it worked. See how that brought them to a place of obedience. And then, again, the, the, the risen Christ, the Jesus who they had seen die, risen again, comes to them and empowers them, calls them to be witnesses, right? Here's a trustworthy source. Here's one who has conquered death, who says, this is what I want you to do, to bear witness to what you're seeing right now, that I have defeated death, right? This is a trustworthy person who is calling them to obedience. And then if that's not enough, and that is enough, but then the Lord also pours out on them, right? The Holy Spirit. And they are empowered, right? They're empowered to obey, and we see verse 12, right? Right there at the beginning, sort of the, the sort of the heading of the passage. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostle, right? The reading skips a little section, but in that section it talks about how amazed people were by the work that was being done through the apostles, right? It tells us that Peter actually, when he walked on the street, people would try to just get into his shadow because they believed even his shadow covering them would heal them, right? It doesn't say whether that actually happened or not, right? But consider this, right? This is Peter, Right, who we know, right, at the crucifixion of Jesus, actually denied that he even knew Jesus three times. This is a guy who repeatedly shows himself in the Gospels to be lacking power, to be lacking understanding. Right? He has great moments of insight, often followed by great moments of failure. 
And yet God is working powerfully through him and through all the apostles, right? And all the apostles at times, right? I mean, it's amazing how much we see them mess up and confused and not really understanding. And Jesus is constantly telling them, you have such little faith. But here they are, right? And God is working powerfully through them. It's a testimony to his spirit, right? His spirit has given them strength. His spirit has given them power. And his spirit is doing signs and wonders through them. And so, right, as we see the amazing things they're doing, this is God's work who has strengthened them to obey, to obey in amazing ways. But then what does this mean for us? And if we say, okay, so we're called to bear witness, right, to the resurrection of Jesus, to bear witness to new life in him. How are we empowered? How are we strengthened? Well, first and foremost, we have received the same spirit that those apostles received and those first followers of Christ. We have received the Holy Spirit. We know new life in Jesus. We know the power of the resurrection in us. And again, we've been called to a resurrection community, to a witnessing community where we remind one another and we bear testimony to one another. This is what Christ does in our lives. This is what it means to be a follower of him. This is the hope that we have. Right? But also, we've actually received something that the first apostles actually didn't receive which we've received, right, the inheritance basically we have from them. We've received actually their witness and the fruit of their witness. As I thought about this, I thought we're like, you know, like little siblings, you know, whose, you know, older siblings have gone before us and we've seen what they've done and we're like, oh, I can do that too. Matter of fact, I benefit from what they've done. But we kind of have to remember how much the witness to Jesus' resurrection, the power of that message has transformed the entire world. We're actually used to living in a world where Christianity has deeply affected the world. It's helpful for us to step back and say, oh, this is the fruit of that witness. I've just been um, reading a book. I'm still reading it called Dominion. Um, It's by a historian named Tom Holland. Uh, Not the same Tom Holland who played Spider-Man, unfortunately, right? That'd be great. Like, wow, he's a good actor and he's an awesome historian. So um, this Tom Holland is also British. Um, But it's called Dominion. And then the subtitle is How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. Um, and basically, he gives this broad um, view of history. I mean, it's amazing. Um, he kind of goes through, you know, basically starting with the Acts of the Apostle and the early church and giving this overview of how Christianity has affected the world. And he's actually, he's not shy about talking about, you know, his view of how maybe at times the church has done damage and how the church hasn't been consistent with the message of Christ. And it's not even clear in the book. I don't know where he is in his own faith convictions. But basically, as a historian, he looks at Christianity and says, This has affected the world in so many ways that we don't even see. And he has these examples, actually, of people who have attacked the Christian faith and who actually attacked the Christian faith inspired by principles that they probably wouldn't have believed if it wasn't for Christianity. He points out, right, people attack Christianity, right, because it doesn't value all people. Where do we get this sense that all people are valuable? Actually, we get it from the message of, of Christ, right, and the message of the Scriptures, right, from the very beginning that we are made in the image of God. Right? The church has attacked a time for not caring enough about the poor. Well, who did we learn from to care about the poor? From Jesus, right? And from the, the, the Holy Scriptures, right? And, and again, he gives example, example, human rights and many things that we take for granted. And this comes from these witnesses, right? How thankful we can be that they obeyed the Lord and they spread the message and God worked through them. For that has transformed the world. And that's, again, the empowerment that we receive. Right? So there's a strength to obey. There's power to obey. But then secondly, we see their opportunities to obey. The Lord calls them to obedience. He strengthens them to obey. But then he gives them these opportunities to obey, right? Again, 
day of Pentecost, right? Think about that, right? Um, as the Spirit is poured out among that group that was meeting together, they begin to praise God in different languages, right? And it just so happens that on that Pentecost, right, because of the Feast of Pentecost, there are people in Jerusalem of various languages, and they're aware of this, right? They're aware of how people are coming and hearing God being praised in their various languages. And so Peter takes the advantage of the opportunity, right? God has given an opportunity. Peter steps into it, right? And speaks about this is what's happening, right? You're wondering right now what's going on. Well, here's what's going on. The Spirit of God has been poured out, right? And I'm here to proclaim to you, right? That death has been defeated by Jesus, right? And a similar thing happens here, right? There's an opportunity that's been given them. Right, they were told the high priest rose up, right? The Sadducees rose up or filled jealously. They're mad, right? Because the apostles, um, had been told earlier, stop preaching about Jesus, right? They had said, right? The first time they were told to stop preaching about Jesus, who are we going to obey? You or God, right? Comes up again, right? They have to keep saying that message over and over again. They're mad about it. They're put into prison because, again, they've disobeyed. They've kept preaching about Jesus, right? But what happens? An angel comes. Right? And during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison's doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Verse 20. Which, let's just stop there. Isn't that a great like wording? All the words of this life. How well it goes with our John reading. By believing you may have life. The angel says, Speak about this life. This life in Jesus. This new life that is yours in Christ that can be for anyone who puts their faith in Christ. Go out and speak about it. So they're given an opportunity, right? A very clear opportunity. You know, you're set free from prison. Go and tell other people, you know, about the greater um, uh, freedom um, that there is um, in Jesus. And they act on that opportunity. They respond to that opportunity. Now, let's just stop. I mentioned that for some people, maybe you grew up in a context where witnessing came uh, with a lot of guilt on it. And let's just note, man, what a great guilt-producing moment um, this is. Huh? Let's just, you know, feel it, right? I mean, they were put in prison for witnessing. They're set free from prison, and they keep witnessing. And you won't even talk to your coworker about Jesus, right? I mean, that's how the message goes. Um, now, I don't want to be, I don't want to take light of how the scriptures challenge us. And I, I do want to be challenged by this and by the boldness of the apostles, right? The fact is, guilt usually isn't a great motivator, I remember um, years ago, uh, I was in India on a, a missions um, trip, and a group of us were working with this church, and we'd go out and we'd preach in the, the streets, and at least at, at that time where we were, people would come and gather and talk with us, um, and, and even um, uh, be prayed for, even though they weren't believers in Jesus, they welcomed us to pray for them. Um, and I remember being in a church one Sunday morning, and the, the pastor there pointed to our little group that was joining this church, and he said, they've traveled from across the world to share, you know, about Jesus. And you won't even talk to your neighbors um, about Jesus. I remember thinking, I have a hard time talking to my neighbors about Jesus. You know, it's, it's easier in some ways to come and preach in the streets of a different country. And so let's not um, uh, react from guilt. Or again, you know, don't, don't take guilt from me, maybe if you're feeling something from the Lord. But again, rather to focus on what are the opportunities you've been given. Right? The Lord gives opportunities. This was the opportunity he gave them. He was giving them incredible favor, right? I mean, it's amazing, right? They're preaching this message. Jesus rose from the dead, right? You probably, many of you shouted out for his crucifixion or you didn't even care about him. And yet they're finding favor. That's a work of the Lord, right? When the officers come to arrest them a second time, it says they're afraid of being stoned by the people, right? That's how much favor they're being given. And the apostles are responding, 
uh, to that, to that favor and to the supernatural, right, opening of the prison doors. Right? We can ask the question, what are the opportunities the Lord is giving you? Right? What does that look like for you? And maybe that's circumstantial opportunities, right? Maybe there are opportunities in your relationships, in your place of work, with your neighbors, in your family to give generously in various ways to demonstrate the love of Jesus, right? Through your words, through your actions, right? Through maybe through financial giving, through acts of service. And maybe the opportunity you're given is actually to allow others to serve you. More and more, I think this is a powerful witness, actually, right? In our, our world, where to show any sort of weakness is actually seen as suspicious, to actually say, you know, I'm in a place of weakness. As a Christian, I actually believe I need help. Would you help me? I know people who have powerfully witnessed to their neighbors by actually being vulnerable and saying, I need some help. Would you be willing to do that, to actually empower them to serve? Because that's actually responding to how God is working um, in people. To actually say, God, I I know you're at work. You're at work in my life, but you're at work in those who don't even know you yet. What is the opportunity you're giving me to respond to God's work, to pray for them, to serve them in some way? Again, to allow yourself to be served. So rather, again, than feeling sort of the guilt, oh, those apostles were so great, I'm so terrible, rather to say those apostles were in a specific time with specific opportunities given to them that they acted on, and what are the specific opportunities for us? What are the things that the Lord um, is doing in the lives of those around us that we can respond to, right? When we tap into what God's already doing, there's such joy in that, to say, oh, look, I see God's working there, I'm going to join him in his work. So there are opportunities Right? There's strength that we receive in obedience. But finally, right, we have to acknowledge God allows challenges to our obedience. God allows difficulties. Right? There's no question about it. Even as we read the book of Acts and we're amazed by the opportunity God gives, we see again and again, and we'll see this through the season of Easter, right, that there is resistance, significant resistance. Right? They're arrested. Right? They're told, stop preaching the name of Jesus by the religious leaders. The religious leaders should have said, the Messiah has come. We praise God. Keep preaching about the Messiah. But instead, the very ones who should have been supporting them, who should have been empowering them, were actually resisting them and were fighting against them. And yet they continue. Right? But again, the resistance is significant. So we see, right? It ends on a high note, um, our, our reading. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. But what happens next? Well, we're told... Um, the, the key religious leaders, probably especially the Sadducees, those who are most opposed um, to the work of the apostles, want to kill them. And so a uh, Pharisee actually steps up, a guy named Gamaliel. Um, I don't know if I'm saying his name totally right, but um, a, a very influential a Pharisee um, actually says, you know, send the apostles out. Let's just have a closed-door session here. And he says to the, the group gathered there, he says, look, we've seen before where, you know, charismatic leaders were put to death and their followers eventually basically scattered. And so he's saying, look, that's likely what will happen here, right? This Jesus has been put to death. Eventually, right, this movement will, will end because they won't stay unified. They'll split up just as we've seen before. But he says, if they continue to prosper and grow, then maybe God's at work. Maybe we're resisting God. Or he has an insight from the Lord, which actually, when you think about it, like, is he the only one that was saying, Hey, wait a second, these guys were in prison and then they got out and yet the doors were still locked? Like, is he the only one kind of setting things like, maybe God's working here, maybe that's the explanation. Right? But he's responding to God's work. So that's encouraging, right? That's, man, their witness is even getting to one of the most influential Pharisees, right? A Pharisee who actually Paul, the Apostle Paul, studied under. And yet the response is, okay, we won't kill them, that's good. And then they're all beaten. 
right? And beatings, as we, you know, from what we know that the Sanhedrin would give out, was severe. Right? We have reports of people dying from these beatings. Right? So it was not a small thing that the apostles were beaten. They leave praising God that they had the privilege right, to suffer uh, for the Lord, right? So must be challenged by their boldness, right? And we maybe say, okay, all right, well, God allows suffering, but not death, right? Their lives are spared. But two chapters later, the end of Acts 7, Stephen is martyred for his witness to the resurrection. And so we don't get any promises of a lack of suffering. Matter of fact, we basically see suffering is going to take place, right? There will be resistance. Now, probably we won't receive this type of resistance, right? We'll see other resistance. But so what often happens to me, and I'm sure it happens to you as well, is as we try to step out as a witness, to step out in obedience to the Lord, when we experience that resistance, we can think, oh, well, maybe I misheard from the Lord, right? Maybe this isn't right, because clearly if the Lord was calling me in this way, then I wouldn't experience any resistance. We're constantly surprised by it, at least I am. And what we see, and again, this will be a theme throughout this Easter, is is, yes, resistance comes. We should expect it. God allows it. God doesn't bring the resistance, but he allows it, right? It comes from the flesh, right? From sin. It comes from the devil. We have an enemy who does not want us to bear witness to the resurrection. And sometimes it comes right through those who we would expect to be our biggest supporters, who we would expect to be saying, keep witnessing, we actually experience resistance. And that can be very disillusioning. It can be very difficult. And we can feel like, right, why did God call me to this if it's just making things more difficult? But don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised that as we obey, we actually will experience pushback um, from, from others and from forces and often from our own sinful nature and our own sinful desires. So let's ask the question, where are the opportunities, Lord, you've given me? Where is the strength you've given me? But let's also be willing to say, in the midst of those challenges, Lord, are you calling me to keep going? Right? Is this, is this challenge actually that I'm seeing as a, you know, stop, is this actually the way the Lord is saying, yes, expect resistance and keep pushing in that? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you. Uh, we thank you for the obedience of the apostles, uh, those first witnesses of the many disciples um, that you called to bear witness to you. Lord, we thank you that even as we see their witness, we also see their weakness um, their mistakes that they made and the, the comfort and the encouragement that gives us, Lord. So we pray for the same boldness that they have, for the same humility, and we pray for the strength to persevere. And Lord, may each one here know the empowerment of your spirit. Lord, may we bear witness to one another. May we bear witness to a lost world um, who desperately needs you, Jesus. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.